0: Hello and welcome to Born to Dance, the podcast for Matthew Bourne's New Adventures that explores and questions why dance moves, inspires and excites us. I'm your host, Paul Smithhurst, resident artist for New Adventures, and every week I will be chatting to members of our extended family to discover their journey through dance and how it has impacted their lives. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. couldn't launch a new adventures podcast about the love of dance without starting at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start, as referenced in our first guest's favourite film, The Sound of Music. And of course, it all began with our commander in chief, the boss man himself, the incomparable Sir Matthew Bourne. Starting from a humble background of creating shows for friends and family in his living room, Bourne has become one of the world's most popular and celebrated living choreographers. For over 30 years, he has been creating and directing dance for musicals, theatre and film, as well as leading his own award-winning company, New Adventures. To list his multitude of accolades would take a while, But particular standouts include being knighted in the Queen's New Year's Honours for Services to Dance and making history by becoming the individual with the most Olivier Awards ever. He currently has nine under his (laughs) belt. So Matthew Bourne, welcome to Born to Dance.
1: Thank you, Paul, lovely to be here. Thank you for that rather nice intro.
0: Well, it's very hard to sum up all of your achievements in, in a short introduction, but uh, we will come on to some more as we delve a little bit deeper. Um, right. You won your ninth Olivier Award back in October 2020. How did it feel breaking those records?
1: Uh, God, was it that long ago now? October 20? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was a sort of a surprise one, that the that ninth one. Um, it felt... Uh, rather odd because we were doing it like this we were doing it online and we many of us were in a sort of waiting room waiting to see if we've won or not um, and there were people like Tom Stoppard there really struggling with the, the controls of his computer and everything it was rather <laughs> odd and Stephen Meir and I actually won for Mary Poppins which, which was a surprise because we'd already won that same award when we first did the show in 2004 so we, were, we weren't expecting to win it <laughs> twice Um <laughs> But of course, we're all sitting there with our nice shirts and jackets on, but with with sort of joggy bottoms or pajamas <laughs> on underneath. You know, it was like everyone's doing at the moment. It was fun, um, but yeah, it's 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 crazy, uh, and uh, yeah, it's nice. I I'm, I have to apologise to Judy Dench though because we were equals before this award. So, um, I know. sorry,
0: she'll be livid. She'll, she'll <laughs> never she'll never let you live it down,
1: um,
0: and. So I talked a little bit about your humble beginnings at the at the in the introduction. And mm-hmm. I wonder what you would tell your, you know, your younger self if you could go back in time, uh, thinking about you winning all of these Olivier Awards and all these, you know, amazing accolades. What would you say to your younger Matthew Bourne self?
1: Well, I don't know what I would exactly say. Um, but I I know that I would have been it was a dream. It was certainly, I, my life has been the dream that came true in some ways, you know, because when I was a kid, I loved an award ceremony on TV. You know, I loved watching the Oscars or whatever it was at the time. And I, I suppose, I never sort of thought, oh, I wish I was, you know, one day I'll be doing that. I don't think I ever felt that, but I, I certainly loved it. And I loved those things. So when it started to happen to me, I was sort of felt, oh, this is, you know, kind of what I dreamed of, I suppose. But, um, I feel my life has been a little bit of wish fulfilment in some ways because I had the same um, loves then that I have now, really. It's really interesting that it's, it's, it's um, come around that way. Um, if I look back at my earliest uh, memories, they are very much about putting on a show and forming a company weirdly it was always something I loved the idea of you know a company not just a show but a company that puts the show on um very much part of the way I felt at the time and thought so yeah it's been a a real wish fulfillment life in many ways
0: and I've had the pleasure of working with you for for many years and I always am struck at how humble and and modest you are and I wonder just you know where, where does that come from and and is that important to you to keep your to keep your feet on the ground, as it were? You know, as you've had so much fame and success.
1: I, I don't. It's hard to say, really. I don't know. I, I know I've never been ambitious. I've, I've never felt that ambitious drive. What I've always felt is that I wanted to do what I wanted to do in terms of um, what I do now. You know, so I was. I was even at the earliest stage. I wanted to put on a show. I wanted to get other people involved. Um, I loved music and dancing. It wasn't only dancing at that point. It was definitely song and dance and, and all that kind of thing uh, that I loved. So I, it was in me, I feel. And anything that's come from that was already in there. You know, it wasn't something I felt I had to conquer. And I did it for many years, as you know, for, um, in an amateur way with little dance groups. I joined little amateur dance groups in Walthamstow, East London, and... Um, Forming my own little companies when I was, I had one when I was 14, I had another one when I was 18. Um, And so I was always doing this and very, very happy doing it. Never thinking, oh, I need to do this professionally, I need to do more, or I need to be big, do it bigger. Even when the company started, I felt that I loved the small company when we first started and we did all our own ironing (laughs) and uh, touring around (laughs) in a a very small way and as a, a small group of performers. And I loved that. And I never, in a way, I never dreamt of it getting bigger than that. So at each stage of my life and career, in a way, it's been a kind of nice surprise, really. It's not been a, like, I, I need to get to the top kind of feeling, you know. So maybe that's got something to do with it. Also, very early on, I suppose, in my career, I met people like Cameron Mackintosh, who, who I kind of looked to... I, I found a quite inspiring person because I felt he had retained his love of what, he, of what he does. Even at the point of being the most successful producer in the world, he is, is like a kid. You know, he loves it, absolutely loves it. And I can see him the same person as when he started out sort of remortgaging his house to put on a show as he is now, you know? And I felt you don't want to lose that. You don't want to lose that, that love and that childlike joy in what you do. And if you lose that, then um, I don't know, other things become too important, I guess.
0: Beautiful. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. We're we're talking to people about their passions for dance and the arts. And it sounds like that that passion that you discovered early Mm. on is the thing that keeps you going even now. It
1: is. And many of the same things, Paul, that I loved when I was growing up as a very young child. You can see that you can see they're still all there in the work. You know, my very earliest, mm-hmm. I was thinking back about early memories and, you know, the, what were the earliest things I saw. And certainly I would have seen Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly on the TV. And it's always my standard answer when people say to me, what, you know, had what's the first dance you were aware of? And it's an easy one to say. And of course, it's very true because I saw those films on the TV. But I also, I think maybe even a little bit more importantly, early on, I got to see the first runs in cinemas of some of those films like The Sound of Music you mentioned, but also Mary Poppins. Um, I probably saw when it came out when I was four years old, you know, four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, they were doing reruns in cinemas of great old films like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, West Side Story. Um, I would have seen in one of its sort of recent, more early on reruns. You know, it came out in 1961 when I was one year old. Uh, but I would have seen it probably when I was about six or seven, probably. Mm-hmm. That you can see these pieces in my work still. So I was, the other dancers I would have loved are people like Russ Tamblin, or I've, you know, since made uh, friends with in Los Angeles has been a great thrill for me. in Seven Brides and West Side Story. Mm. Um, Dick Van Dyke, I probably was my hero. when I was very young, you know. Um, I wanted to be like him. So uh, yeah, the passion has been there very early on, and it and it has changed and and grown um, and obviously there were things I were not aware of then, contemporary dance, ballet, those sort of things were not part of my world at that point, but dance and performance and theatre uh, were there from the very beginning and things that I was completely drawn to, you know, um, from the earliest stage.
0: Mm. I'm really interested in the fact that your first exposure was very much uh, in a visual way, you know, watching these things. I'm yeah. intrigued about when you started to kind of physicalize these things a little mm. bit more. Do you have a memory of of actually, of, you know, dancing and, and starting to take what you've been watching and then start to try it on yourself?
1: Well, sort of, yes, it's it's so much easier today, isn't it? Cause you just get your YouTube on and you can yeah. be inspired and you can also, learn you know you can learn the steps and you can follow Mm. and there's nothing like that when I was growing up no video that came a little bit later so no recording of anything and you only saw these things once you saw something on the tv once or you saw something at the cinema once or you'd plead to go again and see it a second time you know but that was it and so all my dance um all my dancing was from memory and trying to recreate what I'd seen from memory and I kind of love that. And I, I I, don't know what it would have looked like because <laughs> I didn't go to any dance classes or anything. I was completely self-taught, I would say. I say that now. I don't know what I would have thought about that early on, but I think I was sort of a self-taught dancer for many years because I just did uh, stuff from memory or from, of, from what I'd seen. And it's interesting when I read biographies of, some of my early heroes like Fred Astaire and some, um, um, Bilbo Jangles Robinson, all these sort of people, the dancers of that era, um, they were all self-taught. Eleanor Powell, the tap dancer, never had a, a class in her life. She, she learned to tap through watching other people and she had a weird style of her own. You know, She used to turn with her hands sort of up like this and something she'd sort of made up. You know, And, and you think, well, that's all come from her. And that doesn't happen so much now because it's all about getting into a class and, you know, and the, for, the formal training. But there's something to be said for that natural, well, natural inspiration, I suppose, that was very pure in those days in a way.
0: And do you think that has helped form your approach to creating? If if you didn't necessarily have such a a formal technical backgrounds, I mean, you you trained at Laban at the comparatively Mm. late age of twenty two. So, do you think actually that kind of emulating your hero styles, but doing it, putting that into your own body, has has influenced your your creative process
1: very much? There's several things, really. I, I suppose. You know, Astaire and Kelly particularly make you feel dancing is a very natural thing to do. In the films, they just sort of just suddenly start dancing and it it, it creeps in almost. It's sort of something that uh, becomes a, a very natural form of expression. I think that influenced me a lot later on. Um, I think, um, yeah, those... I think forming a style very much came from being feeling very free about the sort of styles I was working in. So most of our shows you know, have lots of different styles within them. I don't feel I'm any one thing because I don't particularly feel trained in any one thing, actually. You know, at Laban, we did ballet and contemporary and we did lots of other things as well. And I'd always loved a lot of other kinds of dancing before that. So it's very sort of eclectic and wide. And I think possibly if I'd gone into a ballet training at, at the age of six or seven or something, I probably would only be familiar with that I would have lost all those other inspirations maybe along the way, you know. Um, so I think it's always felt it's a good thing to have had such an eclectic background in theatre and dance, you know, to bring to the shows that we do now.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I guess what's, what I'm intrigued by is is your, your schooling in Walthamstow. And uh, whether there was, you know, any dance, Did did you have dance lessons mm-hmm. at school? Was that something that existed?
1: Nothing at all, um, no. nothing at all. In my primary school, though, I, I was seen to be someone, you know, someone who was to be encouraged theatrically, I suppose, you know, I don't know how that came about, but I was allowed to put on shows in my early, my first school, um, and I was allowed to pick people from any year to come and be in my shows. And that was obviously seen to be something to be encouraged, which was great, you know, and I really appreciated that enormously. Um, and I did versions of Disney films I'd seen once, you know, like Lady and the Tramp and Mary Poppins, of course, and things like that. They were probably about 10 minutes long, to be honest, you know, they were probably <laughs> quite short. Um, but they, they, they'd pile in all the other kids to watch them in, in assembly or something, you know, so I had that opportunity, but there was no formal dance, uh, um, or, or movement or, drama even actually or anything like that I found those things outside of school certainly when I got to my next school you know um, when I was 14 onwards there was nothing at all really nothing um, and everything I had to find everything outside of, of um, school and I really didn't like school very much I hated school mm. in fact mostly I really I didn't think there was anything there for me at all and particularly at the age of I think it was 14, uh, 14 when I went to an all boys school uh I I don't like to run it down now because the school's been amazing to me since in recent times. The Mon- George yes. Monarchs, they've been amazing, and it's an amazing place now that does everything that I would have loved to have done when I was there. But at the time I didn't enjoy it very much. Um <laughs> and uh so I, I I sought my um pleasures outside of school. Uh which you know it was um a good thing as well you know because you I didn't just sit back and do nothing I I found a way of making it work for myself and formed my own companies and um, youth clubs and uh, the local church I used to go to I was was in the choir at the local church local Methodist church and I went to Sunday school and things but they also the choir used to do shows uh, once or twice a year as well as singing on a Sunday hymns Um, and that's the bit I loved you know (laughs) I think that's why I went really
0: what, what kind of shows did they do?
1: It, they were like song and dance reviews, you know, and I got my first chance to choreograph what seemed like on a proper stage with an audience then. Um, and I did numbers like uh, things from Sweet Charity and uh, um, a sort of Sweet from West Side Story or something like that. You know, it's it quite ambitious, really. <laughs> um <laughs> Always, always up there at the front dancing. You know, I was, yeah, I was very much in it as well as uh, choreographing it.
0: That's such a great image. Was this at the church? Is the, Are you doing? Wednesday? Yeah, it's story Hall. Amazing.
1: It's still there. I'd love to go in one day and see if the stage is still there. You know, uh, I did. Start, I had so many lovely moments there that I've in my childhood. Yeah.
0: And could you pinpoint a, a feeling that that dancing gave you? Uh, I'm intrigued about the, you know, the kind of uh, effect that dancing has has on us, you know, emotionally and and sort of psychologically, and 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 whether you could sort of pinpoint that. What was mm-hmm. that feeling that made you so resilient, I guess, and so creative to to think outside the problem and and start making your own your own stuff?
1: Yeah, I mean, I felt. I felt I didn't like using my voice. That was one thing that that became clear after a while. When I when I I reached adolescence, you know, puberty, I I uh, I didn't like voice. I didn't like speaking. So movement seemed to be something I could release into and and express myself with in a way that that felt comfortable to me. Um, So that was that was one very important thing, I think, that made me veer towards that. I, I remember an early performance um that i did when i was playing you may have seen pictures of this where I was the sugar plum fairy and the local scout group gang show and i was I, oh yes i looked like the only of this pictures of it i looked like the only one who's taking it seriously <laughs> 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 loving being this ballerina sort of thing um Can but I it, remember I very strongly the smell of the makeup and the- that whole sort of roar of the grease paint that what is it called? The smell of the grease paint, the roar of the crowd—that thing. Yeah. Really, I remember it now. The smell of the costume and the makeup and everything. I sort of love that atmosphere. The other thing I felt quite strongly—if you're talking about what it made you feel—it mm-hmm. um, sounds odd to say—and I, uh, but I do, did feel it quite strongly, and, and did throughout my performing uh, career—is this sense of kind of um, power that you have to um, connect with people, uh, and that you. I love the feeling of knowing that I was bringing them in to look at what I was doing. And, and you you kind of know sometimes when you've got that power and sometimes you don't have it, and sometimes you do. But I, I love playing with that. It sounds like very sort of controlling and obviously I don't mean it in that way, but it, it's it, it's that connection with an audience, I think, that I really enjoyed as a performer. And dancing was, you know, my medium at that point, I guess, yeah.
0: And I think you can really see that in in your work and and the the massive popular appeal that you that you've had you you know really put the audience at the at the center of your work and it and it really yeah. is about connecting with them and and you've you've sort of broken open the dance world in terms of bringing new audience in um to dance that I actually have a quote that that I read of yours that's that said that people strangely revere dance. They they see it as a sort of mysterious and maybe a little bit inaccessible. So is that is that a real central intention for you um, to sort of to to bring the audience in like you were talking about all those all those years ago? You've carried that through.
1: Yeah, it's not it's not. Completely calculated in that way. It's sort of it's something that comes naturally to me, and the, the, the sort of thing I like to do. And I like the clarity when it's needed. You know, not always is not everything has perfect clarity because sometimes you want to have your own idea about it, and that's brilliant. That's what dance is so good at. Um, but I like to know that that's the moment when I'm letting the audience have their feeling about something, and I also like to know when I'm telling them something they need to know. And so that kind of that kind of clarity and that kind of connection with an audience is something I've had a sort of lifelong fascination with, really. And I think it's the thing I miss most at the moment, is that connection with an audience. Even when I, though I'm not performing, being in the audience, as a company, having that connection as, with an audience is terribly important to us as a company, I think, and to me as a, a creator of work.
0: Mm, and how, why do you think that your work in particular reaches them or or speaks to them in in comparison um, to some some other dance works maybe
1: god there's so many things paul it 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 there are many things um one is telling a story which everyone loves you know and if if you can tell a story then you've got people hooked to a certain extent it's characters that people can identify with in a way uh and and can be clearly say who they are um and that has a lot to do with uh, Les Brotherson's designs, where the costumes look more like film or uh, play costumes from a play, or you know they don't look like always sort of like dance adapted costumes or, or people on point and things. I'm sort of generalising, obviously. that We have done so, this, um, so that's uh, that's two of the things. The thing I discovered early on is is humour. Humour just wins over an audience, and. I suppose I am a little bit more calculated now in the way I put humour in quite early on in a piece to, to get those doubters involved, you know, so they sort of start to enjoy it. It wins people over. Um, and I think I've learned how to do that better as time has gone by, you know, to, how to connect with an audience in that way. But I think it, at the heart of it is probably storytelling, and that's what I love to do. Um, But I also love it when the story goes off on a tangent into a sort of abstract world, like in Swan Lake, Act Two, The Swans, there's no real, there's only one little story going on for about half an hour there, you know, but it's, people are hooked by that point, and they don't mind that they're watching a lot of swans dancing, you know, for a long time, without a a plot necessarily being there. Mm. So you can feed these things in um but people understand the world that they're in already and that, that's that's very important and also knowing that your audience as well and we do tour around the country around the world and that's the audiences are not dance experts necessarily you know they they're people who've grown to love uh these productions and the stories that we tell and um and are really happy that it's something that they they engage with, they can engage with um mm. And that they get, and I think sometimes the audience feels quite proud of themselves. I never thought I would Mm. understand dance, you know, but I, I do with this and it sort of works for me.
0: almost feels like you're you're talking about creating work that would speak to your younger self in a way you know in terms of the fact that maybe you didn't have that dance knowledge and training but you had that love of 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 stories and and films and being taken on a journey
1: completely I mean I've got to please myself you know and I'm a bit sometimes I'll throw something in purely for myself. That's something I've wanted to do for a long time, hopefully other people will enjoy it. Like the sand dance in the red shoes, for example, completely has nothing to do with the red shoes (laughs) at (laughs) all. And um, it just passes, you know, gets us from one scene to another and, and there is a sore point to it, but um, I've been wanting to get that in for years, you know, so you, you do sort of please yourself. uh, And, that's your gauge, really. You you, you know, and you hopefully um, know your audience, as I said, and and that what you think people are going to like, and what people are going to get. I suppose there is an understanding of that, but um, it's all about instinct, really, and how far you can go. And there's a lot of uh, quite um, daring stuff that we did early on. It would be seen to be daring, you know. So we we weren't just doing easy work, but what we were doing sometimes was was pushing the boundaries a bit but then making people either engage with the characters ahead of that or we were um, making them laugh with it as well and, and as soon as people are about to become like oh I didn't expect to see this in dance you know they were sort of that you'd make them laugh and it would all go away so there's it, it's not just about keeping people happy as such it's about making people think as well but doing that in a way that's not going to uh, shut people off that's very important as
0: well yeah I just think you you really encapsulate that so well I read uh while I was researching for this podcast I read another quote that was talking about your work and saying it's not highbrow or lowbrow but it's all brow Uh, (laughs) and I really I really love that (laughs) because it is it's just being open um for everyone and I think sometimes dance can feel very alienating uh, and you bring, you know, so many new people to it. And I just that really thank you for that because I was one of those people. Uh, and it's really, you know, you have this really clear love of musical theatre um, and Hollywood film. I'm intrigued if you could tell us a, a little bit about how you sort of came to contemporary dance um, and started to to make work maybe more in, in that style. You started uh, training late and, and, and I wonder, why that was as well. There's two questions folded up in there.
1: It's a funny pathway, really. I, I mean, I've told it many times. So I won't go into it too much, the earlier part, but I, I, I did find myself, um, I was obviously into all these things, as, as you say, but really had no um, experience of contemporary dance or ballet. I mean, The Red Shoes was probably my own experience of seeing ballet in a film, which I'd enjoyed uh, earlier on. But I. I got to a point in my life when I'd left school at 18 and I was working in in, um, the BBC, actually, in the archives. Um, So I thought it was a sort of show-busy kind of job, which, of course, it wasn't. Um, (laughs) But at that time as well, I started trying to educate myself in in different uh, areas, like reading novels of famous writers I'd never read before. And that kind you know, I was very into that. I've got to I should do that, I should try that, I should try this. Then I, I tried ballet, which was um, Swan Lake. It, You know, I thought, what's famous ballet I need? And so I went to see that. And along, and very soon after that, I, w- I also went to, st- I got the bug for something that was danced all the way through. And this, I've said this before, but it sounds terribly naive, but I used to go to a lot of musicals, you know, when I was younger, my parents used to take me and we, I loved all that. You know, but I, I went many times sometimes, but realizing that um, I was waiting for the, the numbers, you know, to see the dances again. And when I went to ballet and contemporary dance the first time, I thought, well, they just dance, they dance all the way through. It's great. You know, I don't have to sort of sit through the boring scenes anymore that I knew very well. <laughs> I suppose in a way it's like a songwriter suddenly writing a symphony or something, you know, that you, that you feel you could go further and you mm. could uh, it it could take longer to tell that story and up to that mm. point i'd probably only done like numbers that were 3 4 minutes long you know and then you 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 saw the possibility that dance could tell a bigger story um over an evening even
0: and you mentioned just then going to see your first ballet and we're, we're asking all of our interviewees to tell us about their most impactful piece of dance that they've seen. And you, and you, you mentioned this, you know, seeing Swan Lake. What, why do you mm-hmm. think that piece was so impactful for you at that time?
1: Well, it, it was, I'd had a couple of glasses of wine, I have to tell you, Paul. Um, well, <laughs> before It always I, helps. <laughs> it did help quite a lot because it felt like this incredible dream you know uh, that happened in front of me. I love the fact it was well, I, the music was overwhelmingly good. for one thing, and it was played mm-hmm. live, and I was at the top of Sadler's Wells. You know, so it was all the music was coming up at me. Um, I love the the what I felt I was seeing was a recreation of a piece of history. I, probably not completely true, but at the time I thought this is this is Swan Lake. It's this. It looks like it did a hundred years ago. You know. Um, I wasn't aware of different productions and things. So I felt as I was seeing this piece of history that has been uh, preserved. And I loved the star system in it in a weird way, because I'd always loved that with movies. I'd love stars and the way it presented people like stars. And it was very glamorous. And... I say all these things because it's not what people normally say about ballet. You know, they'll go, oh, "It's very so beautiful," and you know, but it actually had a sort of a <laughs> it had a different effect on me. I, I remember thinking that the the swans, I thought all the movement was going to be very slow, and when they came on in their zigzag entrance, and things like the signet dance were very fast. And I thought, oh, I wasn't expecting fast, you know, to move that quickly, um, all things like that. You know, there were just sort of revelations in one afternoon. Um, it was a matinee i think um and yeah it was i was on my own um and then i went to see it again but not that production it happened there happened to be another production on at the royal opera house at royal canadian ballet were were touring and i went to see it again i thought i was going to see exactly the same thing because i'd seen swan lake i was going to see swan lake again it doesn't matter whether you see it sadler's well or the royal opera house but of course it was very different the first production i saw was i think a peter darrell one which was all opium dream and all this sort of ideas you know and, and this one was yeah. a little bit more conventional maybe it was still sort of the same but different and i realized then you could tell many different stories through that music and i suppose i not that i've ever dreamt of tackling it at that time <laughs> um it was sort of it was embedded in me that it are not all swan lakes are the same i guess
0: yeah So that wasn't the moment where the idea popped into your head for for obviously your famous version. No, oh God, no. That
1: would have been ludicrous. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't even, you know, dance training was years, still years away, you know. Um, But what it did in it, uh, what it did uh, kick off for me while I was working, and this is another interesting thing that actually may not have happened had I been in training at this point, I just went to see so much because I was working and I'd go after work to see Things that sat as well Twilight Tharp, Merce Cunningham, all the, all the contemporary visiting companies, the London Contemporary Dance Theatre I loved, Rombert, and then lots of things at the Royal Opera House, lots of uh, Ashton and Macmillan and all these choreographers that told stories through an evening. And seeing them many times, it went into my brain and stayed there really. And I, and I still call upon all those things now, you know. And I may not have done seen quite so much as I did if I'd been, you know, in full training at that
0: point, yeah, definitely. Being a student and having to pay those bills and, and work and working so is, hard,
1: of course, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And do you still like to go and watch other people's dance productions? Obviously, not right now because we are recording mm. in lockdown. But,
1: um, is... <laughs> interesting <laughs> question. Um, you find yourself, um, yes, I do. Yes, uh, uh, some things. But I, I do these days, I'm a little bit like, why do you love dance? And I always say, well, I don't love all dance. I love the dance that I love. And it's yes. the same with musical theater. It's the same with music. It's the same with anyone, you know, but somehow you're supposed to love dance. I love it when it just, when I do just love it. You know, I, 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 it right. can still transport me, but it gets less and less as time goes by a little bit, you know, and I, I kind of, know the things I suppose that will do that for me and the choreographers that I love in particular. And I, you know, I went to see at the Royal Opera House last year or probably the year before now, um, Enigma Variations, uh, Ashton, and I hadn't seen it for many years. It was one of those ones that I saw and they don't do very often. And I sat there and I was in tears all the way through it. Not, not because it was a moving piece necessarily, but just the whole thing about the music, the, perform- the performances, the choreography just moved me so much. And I thought, oh, this is what I love. You know, this is, I, I love to be reminded of that sometimes, of what I really love. But I do love <laughs> watching the performers. You know, I love watching people um, get inside a role, you know, and, and develop. as I lo- That's one of my big loves at the moment is, is the development of mm. The young artists, you know, that come to us, and um, I get enormous pleasure from that. And I can watch those things again and again, and and uh, really um, work with them on that. And I enjoy that. Obviously, it says
0: a lot about your your sort of character and and your investment in, you know, your 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 dancers, which is such a big part of what you do. That kind of um, development of the of the next generation, as it were. And you know, a lot, I think a lot of choreographers often can make a piece and then never revisit it. Yeah and I think it it's it shows a lot about how much you care about your work and and the family that you create that we we use that that term a lot but it is a family and yeah. it's obviously very important to you.
1: Well if I didn't have that interest Paul in 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 reinvention and wanting things to be uh you know wanting to revive work as you said and, and wanting new casts to do it the company wouldn't really exist the way it does today. Um, and I I love the uh, I love have always loved it and I don't do it as by any means as a chore I love I love reviving work and I love trying to make them better and that is why this family has got bigger and bigger because the history of the company started as a group of friends you know and it's it, it had that family feeling and we've kind of managed to maintain it beyond that and one of the ways we have managed to do that. As, as much more time has gone by, so there's a whole generation of dancers now who don't dance full-time anymore, but do still work with us and do lead workshops and do projects. And so the family is, is still there. You know, it's just got mm-hmm. bigger and more people involved. And, uh, well, I hate it if we ever lost that. You know, I think that would be the time to stop. I think if it became too, like... There was a one point in our history, you would be maybe unaware of it, um, from in the middle of when when we form new adventures, actually, around you know when we changed the name from Adventures of Motion Pictures to New Adventures, there was a move within the board of our company at that time, not our current wonderful board that we have, but the um, uh, to oh we should reproduce Swan Lake around the world. You know you should have it on here and on, on there, and then we should reproduce this production to have a West End this and. Mm. And it was so anti-company somehow. It doesn't matter if you're not there. You know, you've got you've got all these people who can stage it for you and stuff. Um, and it, for me, it, I felt every performance needed to feel special. It, you needed to think you were seeing new adventures. The company, even though sometimes we have two shows, we make the, it feel like the company is just split into two, and we've got that happening. Um, but you're still new adventures. You're not this is the main new adventures. There's another lot doing this, you know, it's, you're a part of new adventures. And I, that was a time when we could have probably been become more commercial, um, made a lot more money, I guess. Um, but I resisted that strongly and, um, we've still managed to maintain that company, uh, feel. And this is when you come to see us, you see new adventures, the company.
0: Yeah. And so you talked there about, um, that investment about within those those younger sort of dancers. Why do you think that's important to to you? Um, what what do you think you that kind of legacy or that that you're trying to sort of maybe teach them or or or, or bring out in them?
1: Well, I suppose we're the only company that truly does what we do. It's our our own particular style of work. So you, it does need that nurturing and that training and that, that development within the company. You can't just keep staging things with a whole bunch of new people and expect it to be on the same level, you know. Mm-hmm. So it is about a, a journeying through. Um, and also, I feel in bringing in, uh, as we have over the years, the standards of... of uh, technique and performance and stuff have got stronger and stronger and stronger, I think. Partly due to people being drawn to the company, you know, they see the kind of work it is and they want to be part of that. Um, But that's also up to our game. So it's not all coming from my side. It's sometimes coming from the performers as well who come in and you go like, wow, they're so good. We we can make this better now. We can Mm -hmm. improve this. We can take things further. The acting performances, you know, it's something um, we've learned about on the job really and I think that's become sometimes comes through the honesty of a particular performer um, that you think oh you can go we can go deeper here maybe you know and that's that's been a, a something to learn along the way as well I think this thing that we you know we used to struggle with how we would could perform um, to large audiences So how, how did you play it? how did you act it you know whether it was the people at the back or the people right at the front and we made a you know, revelatory, revelatory discovery that if you're honest and truthful in your performance then it works for everyone you know it doesn't it's not about big or small it's about truth and that's mm-hmm. maybe we learned halfway through the company's history you know? so sure. but it, we've learned on the job i think through doing it and that's comes it's a two-way thing with the artist i love
0: that and yeah, I love that it's collaborative in that way, and and it's about sharing and being inspired by by each other, and that sort yeah. of peer learning is really important. And also, uh, within the company, you've got some more long-standing dancers, so some of the young ones learn from them, but vice versa, we we really see that happening the other way around.
1: We do, I think. I think it, what we love, I think, as a company and as as a group of people, is talent. And if someone comes in and it's their first job, but you can see, wow, they're they've got something they're great no one cares if they do a leading role because they know that they they should be doing it they deserve it they're mm-hmm. great so and we don't have a hierarchy hierarchical system in, in new adventures as people may not realize in some ballet companies you have your principals and your uh, soloists and your very various uh, degrees within the company we don't have that we have principal roles that are, for that night's performance, these people play the principal roles, so they are the principals. And, you know, I don't mind when people call themselves a New Adventures principal, because it's true. But we don't have an official system, and they may do a supporting role one night as well. So and that's fine as well. That's great. Um, We've always um, uh, celebrated that. I think there are no small parts, you know, that kind of ethos. Um, So I think that's helped the company as well become... uh, more of a unified group of artists i think
0: and definitely and it's almost a, li- a little bit like continuing your training i think when you join new adventures which is which is really exciting to think that you can, you can go into a company and yes, you have to be at a certain level, but you're almost not, you're not expected to be perfect. You're, you're expected to be open and to be um, like a sponge and really take on board and sort of learn as as you go. Some people might not necessarily have that, that acting experience that you require, but like you were talking about, it's something that you can draw out in people.
1: Well, people don't realize that, um, you know, when people come into the company, they get to do a lot of performances very quickly. They're in at the deep end. They may do more performances in two months than some other dancers do in two years. You know, it really is incredible that they learn on the job and we've seen it many times, haven't we, Paul? that you, you bring yes. in a raw talent and by the end of a tour, they're doing things you'd never have dreamt they were doing and really taking on roles and acting and believing in what they're doing and their technique gets better because they're working every day. And they're finding a way of finding a way of doing that. It doesn't suit everyone, as we know as well. You know, we say this especially with Swan Lake when we do get a, a big intake of, of young dancers into that company. We keep saying it's hard work. It's not easy. It's it, it really um, is a tough show. We do a lot of shows. It may not be for you. We do a long long tour. You know, and it it, it, it doesn't work for everyone. But most people, in our experience, I guess, thrive on it it's what they really want you know and they love it they love the hard work um and uh we've seen many people go from being complete beginners really to being really skilled performers by the end of a tour it's amazing
0: matthew i'm going to move on uh it couldn't be a podcast called born to dance without us touching on on music and Mm-hmm. We've already spoken about how integral that is to, to to your inspiration and your and your and your creative process. But I'm interested in what would be your favourite piece of music to dance to. We asked you this beforehand, yeah, uh, and we're going to play a little snippet of your choice. So this is "Put on Your Sunday Clothes" from Hello Dolly.
1: Feel brand new, down to your toes. Get out your your feathers, feathers, your patent
0: leather, your
1: your beads beads and and buckles and and balls, balls
0: for there's no blue Monday in your Sunday. amazing tell us what what make what do you think of when you hear that and why did you pick that song
1: well i love that you can hear barbara's voice above everyone else's in that that was wonderful um, oh. <laughs>
0: she's singing out strong i love it yes it
1: um well I, I i think the reason i chose that because you said what's what is it what makes you want to move and what makes you want to dance and and arthur and i spent an enormous amount of time together in the last year um, which has been great, actually, uh, at home, and preparing a meal or doing On Cleaning Day, the thing we love to put on is good old-fashioned Broadway musicals. Um, mainly, our favourite is Jerry Herman musicals, who, who uh, did the music and lyrics to Hello Dolly, Mame, La Cage of Foal. They're amazing. These They they really keep your spirits up. And we kind of want to... you. It would be hilarious if you saw us sometimes because we sing. I
0: wish I could. I we wish I could be a, a seagull room. <laughs> <laughs> on your balcony, just like looking in. I would. Lo- I would love that. What are you? Is it just like free form? Or are you just just having a boogie and, and having a laugh?
1: We come together for a little partnered bit, you know, on the oh. way from one room to another, and we laugh a lot. Um, Dreamy, and we love singing along a bit. Um, our dog quite enjoys it as well. He was a bit freaky. Sometimes he'll join the group, you know. He'll join us in a dance. <laughs> it's all a bit mad, to be honest, but it's it's fun. And I used to have um, and my previous dog, Mister Eddie, used to love uh, the song "76 Trombones," and he used to like to march. And I used to march around the house with him following me, and that was that was fun. But that uh, Ferdinand isn't so into that. He he um, just stares at us as though we're mad. I think
0: he needs to work <laughs> on his marching.
1: Yeah, noted. I've never lost that love of those sort of shows. Really, that's my go-to happy music. Yeah,
0: and that's it, isn't it? You, it, it brings you joy. For for people listening, uh, I can see Matthew, and he's just beaming, and and I am too because it is that infectious. It just sort of makes you want to just be, be happy.
1: Absolutely, yeah, it's pure joy, and I, I think sometimes that's I there's a lot of intellectualism that goes on about certain things, even in musical theatre, to be honest. And, you know, I love a bit of both, but, but those are the real Broadway musicals, I think. And uh, that's what, that's why you get into it in the first place, you know, and that's why I love it.
0: Mm. And uh, I think that music's so connected to our memory center and our nostalgia. Can you, can you remember where, where or when you first heard that song?
1: Um, well, I, I not exactly, but I do remember going to the cinema to see the film of *Hello Dolly* when I was when it came out, and I I went um, to the Granada Walthamstow, which was a lovely old cinema, which I, hopefully they're 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 refurbishing at the moment, um, real old school cinema, and uh, and I for some reason they used to have continuous performances then and um you, and you didn't pay to see one show you just would go in and it, it would be at any point during the film sometimes weirdly and i remember going in just as the hello dolly number was starting and seeing that gold dress barbara in and um just being transported you know and i and i, I sat and watched the film two and a half times uh that one first time is <laughs> so good <laughs> um so I remember, I and I and I would have probably come home and tried to um, uh, be Barbara. I'm, I'm afraid. And, um, uh, and oh no,
0: don't be afraid. That's brilliant.
1: I'd want my parents <laughs> to buy me the the soundtrack, you know, so I could sing along. And um, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, amazing, gorgeous.
1: I, and I've never okay. lost. That. I love. I I love those things still, obviously.
0: Gorgeous. Music is so vital in your creative process. Do you have any musical training? Because when I've seen you work, you you are you. I do think you you have that musical brain and that musical sensibility and understanding of, of sort of time signatures and, and rhythm and, and phrasing. And where does where does that come from?
1: It's sort of um, I don't have any training at all. It's un- it's self taught again. Uh, a bit. It's a, it's a uh, I feel it. And I also have uh, apparently I have good pitch. I can pitch a note as well. Um, it may be just a sort of a natural thing, but um, I, I had a conversation with um, our first conductor for Nutcracker, uh, David Lloyd Jones, who's a real Tchaikovsky expert. You know, we were lucky enough to have him for our Edinburgh Festival performances. when We first did the show with Opera North, and I'd worked out all the score as I'd heard, as I hear it. I do my little grid system with counts, and I remember him coming into the room and going saying and I, me being quite embarrassed because I was counting for the dancers and I thought, well, it's probably, I'm doing it all wrong, you know? And I said to him, I oh, am so, so, really sorry. I, I'm not a musician. I, this is the way I hear it, you know? And he said, absolutely right. He said, you this is absolutely the way you should do it. You're, you're hearing it the way an audience hears it. And you're going with the emotional line of it or the melody line sometimes or the, um, uh, he said, you're, you don't want to uh, appreciate this music in, with in choreography as a musician you want you want to uh, hear it like the audience is hearing it and he said absolutely right go go ahead you know and it sort of gave me such confidence that what i was doing was was okay that i've never worried about it since really um mm. and i don't worry that i'm i'm doing the wrong time signature sometimes or um what it, whatever it may be. I don't know the names of all the instruments and I, I really have very little knowledge to be honest. It's just the, the feeling of it um, and the way I've my plots come about for some of the more famous scores that we've worked with are through um, listening to that music again and again and again to the point where I can get rid of the images in my head that I maybe know of it already and try and imagine a story through the music so you, you do get to know it really well but more from a from a, an emotional storytelling stance than from a technical
0: mm. one. Mm. That's what I loved about hearing you talk about uh, your version of Cinderella, because the Prokofiev was was written in in you know the, the score was written in wartime. So you do a lot of uh, research around when when the music was was created, and that obviously feeds in. But also you could you could hear a sort of sense of foreboding in in some of that music that oh, okay. that I think you said and really inspired you to to set it within that time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it, it was a light bulb moment, you know, when I listened to that score with 1940s uh, ideas in, in my head, it, it kind of like felt, well, yeah, absolutely, it, it works, you know, and then that was the, the trigger for that piece.
0: So we are coming, sadly, to the end of of our podcast, Uh, but there is a couple of more questions that we we want to ask our guests. Mm -hmm. This is slightly uh, strange to ask you this because... It's, it's about you. Uh, but we're asking, our guests if they could turn any story, film or book into a Matthew Bourne production, <laughs> what would they what would they pick? But you are Matthew Bourne. So I'm just kind of wondering whether are there any other stories left that you've just got? I'm sure there are many, but that you've got a burning desire to turn into a dance show.
1: Uh, not many, actually. It gets harder to find them, you know. And I'm sure there are lots of good ones, but they're, they're, I, I wrap my brains like crazy, you know. But I think uh, the one I have not really touched on is Capadia, and I have got a little idea for that. The sort of horror movies and um, uh, a wax set and a wax works or something like that, something a bit creepy. I don't think we've ever done a truly a sort of slightly eerie, creepy, scary piece that might be fun. Mm. not you know not that- horrible but <laughs> a christmas like a christmas creepy story you know i think that would Ooh. be rather good
0: yeah i love that that's a great idea you, you heard it here first folks <laughs> if that comes around in the next few years yes, yes.
1: it's not planned yet folks <laughs> don't don't ask me about it no. it's, it's no. an idea at the moment
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh and to finish with matthew we are are ending our podcast with a bit of a silly quiz Mm. Uh, it consists of 10 quick fire questions that are about dance so there's no pressure Mm. just answer whatever comes into your head at the time are you ready
1: yes i think
0: okay let's begin the born to dance quiz question number one Whilst Matthew Bourne has run a dance company since 1987, the name New Adventures wasn't the original name. What was it called before? Please get this right.
1: Adventures in Motion Pictures.
0: Correct. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well done. Uh, question number two. Grande and Chico are two versions of what type of Spanish activity? Oh,
1: flamenco. Uh, no.
0: Yes. Oh, absolutely right. Well done, yes. <laughs> Question number three. The patron saint of dancers and actors is who?
1: Oh goodness. It's um Oh. No, it's gone. Uh,
0: oh, no, sadly no. not. It is Saint Vitus.
1: Oh I didn't know that.
0: Didn't know that. Oh, no, one. There we go. Good, yeah. Learned something new I was again.
1: Say totally uh, agree, but that's not a saint,
0: I <laughs> <laughs> Sadly. I wish it was. Uh, question number four. In 1962, little Eva introduced what new dance? The twist. Uh, oh, sadly not. It was the locomotion. Oh, yeah. Made famous by Miss Minogue. Yes, yeah. uh, question number five. Matthew Bourne, you have created productions to the ballet scores of great Russian composers Tchaikovsky and Prokofiev. But which of the two composed more ballets in their lifetime?
1: Ah, I it's, I don't really know for definite, but I think it's Prokofiev.
0: Correct. Yes. <laughs> Prokofiev composed eight, whilst Tchaikovsky only did three. Yeah. Question number six. Staying with the Russian theme, the Bolshoi Ballet at the Bolshoi Theatre in Moscow is one of the world's most famous ballet companies. But what does the word Bolshoi mean?
1: Big or grand.
0: Oh, absolutely right. Well done. Yes. Question number seven. What are Hamilton House and Petronella?
1: Hamilton House and Petronella.
0: It's ringing a bell, isn't it?
1: I don't know, dance schools? I
0: don't know. Oh. we ringing a bell. Sadly not. It's not ringing the correct bell either. <laughs> uh, it's, they are Scottish country dances. <laughs> yeah, Scottish country dances. Uh, question number eight. What was the name of the beguiling gypsy dancer in the Hunchback of Notre Dame? E-
1: Esmeralda.
0: Absolutely correct. Question number nine. Which 20th century ballerina was later edible?
1: Pavlova.
0: Absolutely right. How delicious. And finally, question number 10. According to folklore, which hypnotic dance can cure a spider's bite?
1: Oh. Belly dance. (laughs) Uh.
0: (laughs) That I want to see. Sadly, it was the Tarantella. But the next time someone gets bitten by a spider, I'm just going to start doing a belly dance in front of him and see if that helps um matthew bourne you got six out of ten correct not bad at all what a relief a very it's a very valiant effort there
1: that's very that's very difficult paul some of those questions (laughs)
0: well we're gonna see we're gonna see how everyone else gets on and we're gonna do a bit of a leaderboard and and uh it's just a bit of silly fun so matthew bourne it has been such a pleasure to chat with you about your love of dance thank you so much for coming on the podcast i hope you've had a good time
1: thank you paul really enjoyed it thank you